today is the final message in a series that we've been running called He Is, I Am. And the message has been focused on the sovereignty of God that defines our life, essentially. Because He is, I am. And, and so we've been going on this journey, um, understanding that God is the one who ordains the pathway, writes the script, and invites us to participate. And there's been a series of messages. You'll be able to catch them all online if you haven't heard them. But one of the things that stirred me in the direction that I'm going to go today is that because of who God is, I am, and, and because I'm connected with Him, I get to live the best life that I could because I'm walking His script, not mine. And how many of you would relate to the, the um, self-check that you can do and go, oh, actually, when I tried to plan my life, it didn't go as well as I hoped. But when I yielded myself to what God had asked me to do, suddenly I find myself in a better place. You don't have to nod, but you could personally acknowledge that. In the first message that I, I, I spoke, I, I made this statement here. Whose I am, who I am, is defined by whose I am. Who I am is defined by whose I am. And in the context of the series, what we're saying is when I yield myself to him, if he is truly Lord, then my life is defined by that. But in the context of today's message and where we're going around and inviting people into the journey of life of hope with Jesus, I want you to flip that around and now think about it in the context of someone that doesn't yet know Jesus. Someone in your life. I want you to think about a person that you might be aware of, work, play, family, whatever. They don't yet know God or are not yet walking with him. Now think about that statement in context of their life. Because who they are is defined by who's Lord in their life. And the best life that they could lead would be one where Jesus is Lord. And, and that's what we've got to contend with. And one of the videos that, that uh, we've prepared um, was written essentially to challenge people that they think they do have everything. Comfort, provision, security, opportunity. And yet that doesn't provide them eternal hope provides them current comfort. So, so I want you to think about others today. I don't want you to necessarily internalize this message and think about your walk with Jesus. I want you to externalize it and look outward. One of the things we wanted to build towards in the series was the last two messages to take our focus off ourselves and to look outward, especially at this time of year when we are preparing ourselves to serve this town in love. I want to show you a way today that you could be part of the story of other people's walk. And I've just titled today's message, Love in Action. Like I said before, we have this saying here, and we love people till they ask why. But only loving them is not enough. If we don't create opportunity for them to ask, if we don't pray about it until the Holy Spirit stirs them, then ultimately we've done a good deed, but we've done nothing more. And so today I want to push further. I want to push further than that 
into what I call love and action. I want to look at the scriptures and see a couple of examples and prepare ourselves and our hearts for what God might be stirring us into as a church family. Ultimately, what I want to say to you today is the purpose of love is to lead people to Jesus. That is the ultimate purpose of love. Feel good? Great. Lots of friends? Awesome. Fix social problems? Yep. Yeah, we can do that. We're part of the solution. That ultimately, the purpose of love is to point people towards Jesus. People do need Jesus. Ultimately, everyone needs Jesus. I mean, I think back to what my life was like without Jesus, and it was somewhat comfortable most of the time, but man, way better now, because I've got something to live for greater than myself. So I want to start by perhaps identifying a potential problem if I could. And uh, I want to stir you in this, um, but I want to create a contrast. And the good news in the beginning, when I talk about a problem, is we do not have a revival problem. This church, this family, who we are, we do not have a revival problem. What do I mean by that? We're a church that passionately pursues the presence and the person of God. We worship God as the Almighty Sovereign Lord. We establish his throne through our prayers and our praise. We sing as loud as we can. We jump up and down on occasion. We get really out there. We might do a dance. We don't have a revival problem. Every service that we plan, we articulately look to point ourselves towards what God has prepared for us, and we go after that. And when we review it as a leadership team, we're saying we measure the service on two key points. Do we feel like God was present in our midst in a tangible way, and did we do what he asked us to? We're obedient to God. One of the values, the core values of our church is presence. And by that we mean that we worship God, the person of God, and we experience him through his presence. It's really important to us. So we don't have a revival problem. But what I'd like to propose to you is we may have a release problem. Because the goodness of God, the love of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the grace of God, all of that's awesome when we hang out together. But does it leak out of this building? Are we focused on sharing the goodness of God that we enjoy with people who are not yet here? Like they don't come at 10 o'clock on Sunday or watch on the live stream. Do we see salvation and healing outside of a church meeting? or a connect group. That's what release would look like. Do we keep the passionate pursuit of God's presence just to a service, or do we do that in our workplace as well? I mean, we do it in our workplace. Years ago, I used to be part of a, a business ministry where we literally called ourselves pastors to the marketplace, and we would go and we would create opportunities for the tangible manifest presence of God to bring His grace, His love, and His healing in people's workplace. Because the people who led those businesses, either the owners or the managers, wanted everybody in their workplace to experience what they carried. And we just came along and helped. One of the things I love about some of the partnership we do in, in missions work in Asia is that we're partnering with education because education is a key to get people out of poverty. But in that, we're not just doing that, we're pointing them to Jesus. We're bringing God and his power into that environment in Indonesia and hopefully in India. So we enjoy God's power when we're together, but I'm suggesting that we might have a problem leaking it out of here. But the good news is, you carry it with you wherever you go. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. Holy Spirit in you, not to stay in you, but to be through you. So what I want to do today is I want to really push the envelope a bit and talk about this idea of release. I want to talk about release in in line with love and action. And to do that, I want to point you to a story that Jesus used to do exactly the same thing. And Jesus loved to use stories. The Bible calls them parables. He loves to use these stories to stir us, to provoke us, to mess with our thinking, to flip, in fact, thinking on its head. And the story I want to talk about today is found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is an interesting encounter where uh, Jesus is hanging out as he does. There's a whole bunch of people hanging around because Jesus did some cool things. Notice that he wasn't in the church when he did most of those cool things. Wasn't in the temple. Wasn't even in the city of Jerusalem most of the time. He was out. Phrase that is used so many times in the Gospels is Jesus was among the people. That really stirs me as far as this message I've got for you today. So there's this encounter going on. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, a man, a devout man, a man who was well known and versed in the scriptures asked Jesus a question. The way it's positioned by Luke, the way Luke tells the story, is the man was trying to prove himself to be pure. So he thought, I'm going to ask him a question that I already know the answer to, because I'm a very wise man. And he says, as you can see on the screen there, what must I do to inherit or receive eternal life? And herein we find some tension. When you read the layers between the scriptures, you understand that there's more going on than just words in a story. There's a setup because Jesus is the one everyone's looking at, but they're looking to trap him, they're looking to trick him, they're looking to prove him wrong and them right. Because this man, he'd memorized the beginning of the Bible. It was what they did. They were well versed in all of the books of the prophets. They were able to quote long passages of scripture Um, that pointed, in fact, funnily enough, towards Jesus. They just didn't realize it. And Jesus is about to mess with thinking, not just for them, but hopefully for you as well. Because I want to dwell on this long. It's not my main point. But when we think of eternal life, what I don't want us to do is just think of sitting in heaven in the clouds, singing with the angels. If you've got a thinking that eternal life is a destination after you die, then you've missed the point of the story. Please do not limit yourself to thinking that Christian faith is just about getting a bus ticket to heaven and I'm just going to struggle as I I have to now and it's all going to be good when I die. Hopefully I get to the right place. That's not what Jesus meant about eternal life. When I looked into this, I understood that the, the language that is used and the meaning behind the language and the word study that you can do, go and do it yourself. It's all free online. Just make sure you click the right links. Read the right books. But what Jesus is talking about is an abundance and an extravagance that we can live now in joy, not just a destination. See, as human beings, we've we've nutted it down to a destination that's achieved by what we do. And God is like, no, 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 no. Eternal life is what you receive when you connect with me. And it's about living in the fullness of that life that I designed for you from the moment you acknowledge me as your Lord and Savior. Jesus prayed this prayer for us in John 17. Look it up for yourself. I've actually got it here. I'll read it to you. But John 17, verses 2 and 3, for those of you taking notes. Jesus prays this to his Father in praying for us. This is called the high priestly prayer, John 17. It's beautiful. And you should read it because it's all about you. Jesus says to his Father, You granted me authority over all people 
that I might give eternal life to all those you've given me. So Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Now this, he says, Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. See, this, this is the life that God's talking about. Eternal life is not just a destination. It's how we live in the, in the relationship, the active, vibrant relationship we have with God. Knowing someone means um, the best um, description that I found in, in looking this up on, on my research was, was the, the knowledge that one would have husband to wife, a deep, intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge. Um, it's it's, um, it's uh, full of um, compassion and love and grace. It's full of submission, yielding, um, serving the other in the greatest good. It's, it's, it's a intimacy, it's a fellowship, a friendship. It's, it's long-suffering and it's long-standing. That's what it means to know someone in the way that Jesus is talking about. And so flip that on to your faith life. Eternal life is a deep, loving, sacrificial, committed, intimate, life-giving, fruitful, forever relationship with God. And Jesus wants you to have that and experience it now. But not just you, he wants others to experience it as well. So in this passage, we've got the man saying, how do I access eternal life? He's not looking for a bus ticket. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the man knows the law. He knows it really, really well. So he quotes Deuteronomy and he quotes, uh, I think it's Leviticus. And he says, well, of course, we must love the Lord God with all our heart and our soul and our strength. And we should also love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. And then the Bible says, the man wanting to prove himself right, says, well, who's my neighbor? And that's where we find the story I want to focus on today. Who's my neighbor? Who should I love? Jesus says, to answer that, I'll tell you a story. We find the story in Luke chapter 10. I want to read you just a short part of it. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, Jesus replies to the question with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, some Bibles say, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also decided to pass by the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. That word is in there just so that we know the Jews don't like Samaritans. Despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than what I've given you. So he'd given him two days wages is what he'd given. So work that out what you get paid. He'd given him some money. He says, if it runs higher than this, I'll pay you when I am next here. Jesus turns to the man. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? 
Well, the man replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yes. Now go and do the same. So Jesus asks the man, who is the neighbor in the story, the neighbor that loves the other as himself? Who is that man, the neighbor that would serve in mercy and serve in love and put love into action? It's the Samaritan. It's the one who stopped. And so the point of the story, to give you the punchline now, is that Jesus wants you to be the neighbor. That's the whole point of the story. The whole point of the parable pointing back to the original question, how do I receive eternal life? How do I live in the fullness of life that God's prepared for me now today in an intimate knowledge and a deep sacrificial love of living with God? God says, love your neighbor in the way he loved the man who was on the side of the road. And herein we find our challenge. We've got a story here that Jesus has given us, but he wants us to emulate the principles he's put in the story. It's not just to trick us, it's to point us to his way of living. Let's be the neighbor. See, Jesus wants us to be the neighbor. Jesus wants us to live with love in action. Love in action. So let's unpack this, because there's some stuff in here It's pretty simple, I think, but it's pretty powerful. Verse 30, as you can see on the screen, Jewish man was traveling on the road and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him naked of his clothes, beat him. They probably beat him with sticks. like a shepherd would use to beat off an animal that was attacking his flock, like they would use as a walking staff to protect themselves from a bandit, and yet this protection was turned upon him. They would have kicked him while he was down. They would have punched him in the face. He was beat by the bandits, and they left him half dead beside the road. I don't want you to miss this. Because the, the truth of the matter is, you know, we can read the scripture, we go, man, oh, man, that's rough, you know, like that's a bad day. It's a really bad day. But tomorrow, or this afternoon, or next Thursday, when you walk down Alexandra Street, you're probably not going to see a half-naked man being beat up and abandoned. Like, I haven't seen one in the four years I've been here. You guys, some of you have been here longer than me. Anyone walked through town? any time of the day or night, and seen a half-naked man who's been beat with a stick and abandoned? No one. Okay. So why would Jesus use the story? Well, I had to think about this. I think about you, and I think about me. And so people are not going to necessarily get attacked by bandits, although if we go and ask the police, you'll find out that it happens. But you don't get to see it. But I I guarantee you that you do walk past people. And I would almost guarantee you that you would walk past people who perhaps have been attacked by something you can't see, like depression. Or maybe they've been attacked by financial crisis. Or worse, maybe their bruises are hidden and they've, they've literally been attacked by their partner in their home. And you walk right past them. 
you walk past people every day. You, you might not walk past a, a man or a woman who's been stripped half naked and left on the side of the road, but maybe you walk past people who have lost their security. Maybe you walk past someone that doesn't have a way to provide the next meal for their family. Maybe literally they've got nothing to keep them warm. Often people like that smell a bit, so we cross to the other side of the road. You walk past people every day. Maybe they haven't been beaten by sticks and fists, but maybe they're beaten up and torment at night by nightmares or demons that ravage their nights and cause them to toss and turn without sleep and not be able to function. Maybe they're tormented by the sins of their past that won't go away because of the people they've hurt and the lives they've broken. Guarantee you walk past them. Guarantee it. Sometimes I guess we even would walk past someone that's been abandoned by their family, but we wouldn't know. So the story's real for us. The principle is there in the scripture for us today. Whilst the man is not on the track to Jericho, he's certainly in our town. And you know what Jesus is saying to us today? I want you to be the neighbor. I want you to be the neighbor. With love and action is is something that is, is, you know, we want to love people till they ask why, but we also want to do more than just the act. We've ultimately got to point them to Jesus. And I, I don't want to, um, for the sake of time today, I don't want to look at the two that didn't stop. But I want to look at the one who did, the neighbor. It says in verse 33, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And moving quickly, I'd just like to say that's really nice, but feelings don't change situations. Your intentions are not enough to change someone's world. Good thoughts, happy thoughts, wishing people good luck, hoping it goes well for them, saying a prayer for them in your prayer time at night doesn't change their situation. So what can we learn from the Good Samaritan? Well, firstly, quite simply, the Scripture says, the man went over to him, and what am I saying? Love is an action word. We have to go. And this is why I challenged us at the beginning. We don't have a revival problem. The glory of the Lord is upon us and it's in us. And it it just needs to leak out of us when we go outside the building. So what else can we learn from the Good Samaritan? Let's have a look at verse 34. It says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and he bandaged them. And here's the practical side of help that most of us would relate to. We see a person on the street and we go, well, let's help them, let's give them some money, let's try and find them a job, let's prepare a food hamper for them. Because, you know, families need food at Christmas time, so we we hustle and we bustle and we get the town on board and it's really exciting and we're going to prepare 200 food hampers for our town. That's practical. That's awesome. That's great. I am so excited about that and the other things we do. But let's look what the Bible is actually telling us. Here's a phrase that I want you to lock in. It's through the practical help that the power of God flows. It's through the soothing. It's through the giving of a food parcel. It's through the fixing of a car or the providing a means to have a meal. It's through that that the power of God flows. So here's my encouragement to you, to all of us, is when you help, 
God's supernatural power flows through you. Okay. A little underwhelming, your response. When you help people, God's supernatural power flows out of you. Hallelujah. When you help people practically, God's supernatural power wants to flow out of you. Okay, some of you are getting it. When you help people practically, the power that's in you wants to come out of you. You're right. Now let's, but let's look at it in the Bible because it's, it's in the Bible. I don't want you to miss it. When the Bible talks about olive oil, it's symbolic. You don't have to go to many Bible classes to know that Scripture points to Scripture, reinforces truth, and it's telling us something. So Jesus knows this because like, he is the Word of God, remember? He says he soothed his wounds with olive oil. Now, that was a practical way they used to dress wounds in those days. They used olive oil to dress wounds. They used to wipe it on their face to make themselves glisten. But symbolically, the olive oil represents what? The Spirit of God. Olive oil, when you read it in Scripture, it's practical. You use it. When you make your bread, you use it to soothe wounds. You use it to make yourself look more beautiful. You could all come to church next week with olive oil on your face. Maybe not. But the olive oil represents the Spirit of God. So when he's tending his wounds with olive oil, he's ministering to him with the Holy Spirit. What does wine represent in Scripture? Symbolic. What does wine in the Scripture tell us about what we do? What is wine? What does it represent? Every couple of weeks, we, we, we symbolize this. The blood of Jesus Christ, which takes away the sins of the world, the blood of Jesus that restores my brokenness and connects me with the Father. Jesus is saying, when you help someone, practically the supernatural power that I put in you can flow out of you to help those that are in front of you that are in need. And you help them by ministering with the Holy Spirit that's in you and the blood of Jesus Christ that set you free is the same blood of Jesus Christ that can set them free. You. That's when you help people practically, that's the whole point. I mean, bandaging him is just ministering to him. We can pray for people now. They might not even know we're praying for them. Yesterday, um, I was really fortunate to be invited to do a wedding for some, the daughter of really good friends of Kathy and myself, and we went to Pukahina Beach, which is on the way to Whakatani. These, this is the couple not saved. They're living together. They want to get married, and it's a great party day for them. What's my opportunity there? To show them Jesus. Now, he was talking to me. He's like, you know, I know you're very Christian. But I put God in the same box as the Easter bunny, and I don't believe in either of them. And I'm like, okay, it's your wedding, not mine. But I'd like to say a blessing over you. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, right. They know they're, they're, the parents are like that. Okay, thank you. And I'd like to read a poem written by a guy called Paul that talks a lot about love. Would that be okay to you? I guess it would be. Yes, okay. 
So what am I doing? I'm just taking an opportunity to bring Christ into their marriage and speak blessing over them, hoping that those seeds are something that God will use in a different way in a different time. Did I preach at him? No. Did I tell him he was a sinner? No. Did I get all Holy Spirit weird on him? Not even in the dancing, which I avoided. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and me. It begins with practical help, but it's got to point to Jesus. And the only way it points to Jesus is if you bring the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus into what you do. You don't have to be weird about it, but you can be practical. God's power flows through you when you help people. And I believe as a result of that, we'll see people pointed to Jesus. What does God ask you to do? Put yourself in a place to be used. And then he does the rest. Listen to last week's message. That was the whole point. Uh, By way of confession, I I got a little bit deep in my research this week uh, in content. And my confession and apology in retrospect to you is that often when I do that, I try and feed it all to you in 45 minutes. And it would be somewhat likened to you trying to have a drink from what I'm teaching by drinking a fire hose. Because I'm trying to give you everything. And I decided this week that I should never do that again. So I apologize for all the times I've done it in the past. But what I've done is I've prepared a five-day devotional for you to use. Because there was a lot more in Scripture about helping people in practical ways with the power of the Holy Spirit than what I have got time to share with you today. So if you would like, uh, at the end, you can come and grab one of these. They're free. It's called Love in Action, and there's just five simple devotions, much like some of you would have in a book or um, version app, you know, um, that sort of thing, about ministering love in action. Uh, we'll try and get those on the social as well this week so you can be reminded to spend time with Jesus in the Scriptures and in prayer, and that's going to guide you through that. Back to the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan tends to the brokenness and the pain and the wounds of the man. And in 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 that, I believe we see the healing power of God. And so my encouragement to you out of Luke chapter 10 is that we would also be practical in our helps, but we would believe that we would see the ministering power of God through his Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ change their world for eternity through us as we love people in action. There's another little detail. I didn't put it in my slide, so we're going to do this fast. But if you just have a quick look at Luke chapter 10, verse 35, I just want to point something out. I don't know why. Maybe it's for someone here. Maybe it's for me. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two days' wages. So it's, it could be as much as $700 in today's thing. He, he Hand people to take care of the man, he says, and if the bill runs higher, I'll pay you next time. What's the price for helping someone? Whatever it costs. Whatever it costs. For some of you, it would be financial. Like to fix someone's car for operation fix a car, costs a lot of money. Costs someone a lot of money, not you. Costs someone else a lot of money. But sometimes it costs in, in distraction or inconvenience. Because to put on Triawamudu is a big event for us, and we have a party, man. We have so much fun, but it's inconvenient. 
Because December's busy and I've got lots to do. So it might cost you some inconvenience. What's it going to take for you to invite your neighbor or your workmate to come and join us for Christmas? Um, feeling awkward? Feeling embarrassed? Maybe feeling like fearful that they might laugh at you or, or reject you? What's the cost? Whatever it takes. There's a cost, always a cost. And Jesus is looking for people who are willing to pay the cost. Before I finish, I really I want to very quickly point you to Acts 10. It's in the devotions. There's a full-on um, prayer devotion to do in Acts 10. But I wanted to show you the story because it's a cool story. I'm just going to summarize it. Luke, uh, Luke 10 is the Good Samaritan. Acts 10 is about a guy called Cornelius and one of the disciples who you may recognize, his name is Peter. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. What does that mean? He's not a Jew. He wasn't raised in the temple, he, but he's a God-fearing man. And we know that he prays to God because God responds. Cornelius gets a visit from an angel. Now, I'm a pastor. I've never had a visit from an angel. That's not true. I have, but not like with wings and stuff. But Cornelius gets a visit from the angel, and he says, what I want you to do is to send some men away to a city called Joppa, and I want them to go to the man who's housing Peter in his house. Send them now. So he does. Like, that's weird, eh? An angel says to do something, and he goes, no questions, I'm doing it. And at the same time, Peter's at the house where the man is, is going, the men are going, and, and he's having a time of prayer. So he goes up on the roof. Midday was also one of the times the Jews would pray. He's having this prayer time, and he falls into a trance. So he's not just having prayer where he's getting the old Holy Spirit going. He's in a trance, like you see in movies. Non-compass mentis, my father would say. He's having visions of heaven while he's on the roof. Weird stuff. Read the story. It's interesting. Animals and sheets and stuff that he didn't like. And he hears God say, I'm showing you something important. And by the way, there are three men knocking at the door. I want you to go with them. And I want, to meet you, I want you to meet their man because I've got something prepared for you. And Peter goes, okay. He goes downstairs. Well, you know, there's three guys standing at the door looking for Peter. He says, I'm Peter. They say, come with me. He says, okay, let's go. But can I have a feed first? Because I'm quite hungry. So they travel to the house of the man called Cornelius. And Peter decides to share the good news with them and talk about what Jesus Christ did that he got to see. And the Bible says, when Peter is telling the story, the Holy Spirit baptizes all of Cornelius' house and they begin praying in tongues. Not Christians, servants in the house and friends. And Peter's just talking, didn't pray for them, didn't lay on of hands, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin praying in tongues. And Peter goes, that's weird. But it must be God, because I was talking about God. And so what I was thinking was wrong, and what God's doing is right. So, hey, look, why don't we just baptize these guys in the river and call them Christians? That's the story. You can read it in one of your devotions. I think it's day four. What's happening in the story? Why do I tell you that? God is preparing Cornelius at the same time he's preparing Peter. But look at the point for you. God is preparing your friends at the same time he's preparing you. Go figure. God knows what he's doing. And this is the whole point of our message is that God is preparing the way for us to be part of something. We're a church that likes to live with love and action. I love what we do as a church. And, and next year, maybe we can do it again. 
Maybe we won't wait till Christmas though. But there's got to be a reason behind what we do, and, and it's about leading people into eternal life. What is eternal life? A partnership with God where they get to live the best life possible that God's prepared for them in partnership with Him. It's full of intimacy and power and love and grace and, and sacrificial service. That's the best life someone could live. And they might find a way to access it through you, inviting them to Christmas where we're going to tell them Jesus is the hope of the world. And if Jesus does what he said he would do, then he'll bring them to conviction and repentance, and then they get to live with him. Oh, what a good idea. So, the whole point of what we're preparing is a challenge for us as a church and a mobilization of us as a church that we would go and love people in practical ways but that in that we would minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd minister in the grace and the love of the blood of Jesus Christ that sets people free from being beaten, tormented, and abandoned. And that ultimately we would carry hope into their homes and see them choose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to follow the steps that we showed you earlier. I'm going to put them back on the screen. We're going to pray. And we're going to ask God, to lead us to our Cornelius. Who is God preparing to receive your invitation? We're going to commit to praying for those people by writing their name on a card. And I'm going to invite you to hang that card in faith on the tree of hope. And we're going to pray over that tree this week. And then when you get the invite cards, which will be here on Friday, we're going to give you a couple, maybe three. And you can take one of those cards to the person who God showed you and say, look, I'd love to invite you to join us for Christmas. Would you come with me? Before we do that, let's uh, look at that last video. And if the team could get ready to hand the cards out now, that would be really helpful. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you that you are stirring us. You're stirring people in our church family that we would not contain the love and the grace and the goodness that you've given us, but that we would see it released into our town. God, we know that the salvation of Te Aumudu is why you've positioned us here. That ultimately we would be partnering with you to see people find hope in Jesus Christ. God, I pray now for the spirit of revelation and enlightenment to come upon us all as Paul prayed, that we would see what you're showing us and would have the boldness to respond in kind, that we would believe that the people you're showing us are the ones that you know will be open to responding. God, we ask now that we would not judge or assess or logically critique what's happening in this process, but that we would be filled with faith to be obedient to what you've called us to. Lord, we commit this month to you that's busy. I ask for protection over families. I ask for energy as people serve. I thank you that this is a church family willing to make a sacrifice, whatever the cost. 
And Lord, ultimately, we pray that as we carry hope into this town, that people would find Jesus. So now I ask that you come and lead us in faith. Amen. So.